Welcome to the discussion, Accelerating DoD Missions with Identity and Access Management, sponsored by Okta. Here's today's moderator, Jason Miller. Welcome to the discussion. My guest today is Sean Frazier, the Federal Chief Security Officer at Okta. Sean, welcome to the show. Thanks. Good to be here, Jason. Always good to see you. Let me set just a little context for our discussion today. Agencies are modernizing their infrastructures at an incredible pace, especially over the last nine months. And it's clear identity management, especially through cloud services, has been a key to that success. But like with anything, agencies can't rest on their laurels. They have to be innovative and continue to create an identity-centric model for their applications, their services, and their mission areas. So how do they do that? Well, Sean, that's where you come in. You're going to tell us how they can get through this and do it with innovation and security. Sean is the Federal Chief Security Officer at Okta. Sean, let me start with something that's maybe in the, in the weeds for some of us, but IL-4 this is something that across DOD is very important, but it's also, you know, even if a civilian agency is not into the quote unquote IL-4, they still, it's a high level of security that they have to care about. So we'll start with the definition. Why do we care about this? Why is it important and what does it mean? So IL-4 means impact level four. And what that means is it means a higher number of security controls that we as cloud security or cloud service providers, CSPs have to pay attention to. So a lot of us in the cloud space start off with IL-2 moderate because that's a good place to start and there's about 300 plus controls that we've got to pay attention to. And then IL-4 adds a certain number of controls on top of that for um, organizations and agencies who are more security focused and security conscious. And then if you look at kind of the impact levels of FedRAMP, they, they move up to IL-5 and IL-6, but IL-4 is really kind of the meat and potatoes for the DOD community in order to deliver services um, to the armed services, You know, basically DISA and all the other commands. And one of the things that we're seeing is a, a better understanding of when IL-4 or, or those more security controls are needed. It's an understanding of risk, if you will. And I think that conversation has really come to light, especially over the last nine months. Hey, do we really need that to be that secure or can that be, can we still have rigor, but not as, we don't need as much security? Why is IL-4 important today? And why are we talking about it more than maybe previously? I think one of the reasons is, um, you know, there are a lot more agencies that are looking to move to, to a modernized cloud platform. So the more you have kind of security conscious agencies that are looking to do that, the higher level of controls is more important to them. So I always like to tell people, you know, we've been talking about doing cloud and innovation for years and actually probably over a decade, but it's kind of a, you know, the horse has to pull the cart. And what we've seen over the last year is that the horse that's pulling the cart is the need to modernize cloud services to deliver across all kinds of use cases, which might be extreme telework and extreme telework hits us all. It's not just civilian agencies, but it's also Department of Defense agencies as well. So as we look at kind of the use cases driving modernization and forcing us to modernize, we're looking at the top, those higher level of controls that we have to pay attention to. So we're looking at folks like Okta to be able to deliver our services and capabilities at those higher level of controls. But you bring up a great point. Everything's a risk-based decision, right? So there's nothing that's kind of a, a, a set in the ground, set in stone thing for delivering security. Every agency has to look at the risk, has to, has to look at the, the services and the applications they're delivering and model those based upon that risk-based activity. One of the key pieces when we talk about IL-4 is the identity piece. And that's obviously an area Okta plays very deep into. Walk me through what's required from an identity perspective when we talk IL-4. So I think the main thing is pay attention to the basics of security around the controls. So that's kind of the, the most basic 
fundamental aspects of what you're paying attention to. And yeah, almost every kind of risk-based access decision starts with identity and access management because you really can't deliver anything until somebody's requesting something or until something is requesting something. And that's the, the space that we live in. So the, the fundamentals of being able to deliver that capability at the IL4 control level is certainly very important for these agencies. And I always like to think of it as identity and access management is kind of one blade of what we do. But if you think about it, you know, from a holistic perspective, we're more like an identity centric trust platform. So when you start thinking about delivering access, it has to be kind of contextual. It has to be adaptive. So that depending on the use case, depending on the user and the application, you can make dis different risk decisions at the time of need. And it also comes back to the risk decision also falls into when we talk about identity. Well, Sean should have access to this document or this system or this network, but he can't, he can just see it. It's the roles and responsibilities piece versus Sean can see it and change things. And that's also playing into this, gets, gets us into this aisle four and above where agencies need to, okay, for Jason to work at home, he should be able to see this database, but he shouldn't be able to change anything in it. Is that the conversation you're starting to have with agencies about roles and responsibilities and identity? It is. And it's actually built upon kind of layers of, of discussions we've had over years. So least privilege, roles-based access control, adaptive access control, because there might be an example where, you know, Jason doesn't need to modify this database unless he's in a certain period of time where he has access, where he needs to add his input. So we have to be able to take context into effect and be able to deliver that in an automated fashion. So we can't have people behind the scenes saying, okay, I give you the access now and I'm taking the access away because what if I forget to take that access away? Someone comes in, pretends to be you and all of a sudden can manipulate that database. So we need that to be automated. We need that to be kind of delivered in a, in a least privileged way. So that that way, if there's a point in time where you need to be able to do uh, editing of data, we deliver it to you only when you need it and we take it away when you don't. And I was going to ask that question. It can be set up that that Sean has access to this database from Monday at noon till Tuesday at 8 a.m. And beyond that, you, you it'll cut you off. That, that's possible, right? Absolutely. As a matter of fact, we need to be able to deliver that and we need to make that assessment every single time. So it's not something we're going to put it again, because this is where we get in trouble in the security realm, where we put a stake in the ground, and say it's always going to be this way. And the, the attackers take advantage of that and say, oh, OK, well, Jason always has access to manipulate this database. I just got to act like I'm Jason and I get access to this database. So the, the concept of least privilege or what I like to refer to as kind of the zero trust model is that we're making that determination every single time you come in. Are you still Jason? Are you still accessing from a device that we trust? Are you coming in from a place that we trust or not? And then make that kind of adaptive decision real time. I think that's the other key to piece of this, the device and the place that, that, that we trust, because again, you're looking for, and we'll get into zero trust in a minute. I don't want to go, go over that point, but I think the point, the point that I think is important that you made is trust. It's the trust, but verify model that's really grown over the last, what I would say, you know, 18 months or so, but then the last nine months has really come in. When we talk about trust, but verify that also leads down the path to, to better modernization, better, more innovation across the agencies, doesn't it? I actually would, would change it a little bit. I wouldn't call it trust, but verify. I would say never trust, always verify, right? Because the, the trust, the, the trust, but verify piece is like, well, inherently, I'm just going to trust you unless I, unless I figure out I don't trust you. And we're kind of flipping that on the head a little bit to say, I don't necessarily trust you at all until you prove these things. You go through these gates. Your device has gone through these gates. You as an individual has gone through with multi-factor authentication or you've used your CAC to log into something. Once I've determined 
that that request is trustworthy and I'm doing that every single time, then you get access. Once the access is done, I tear that all down. So next time you come in, I put you through the same you know steps that you need to go through to do authentication, which brings up you know my, my other big point, the thing I always like to talk about is it's a balance between usability and security. We don't want to punish the user and make it super hard for them to get access to things, but we need to make it harder for the attackers. So Sean, I'm going to play devil's advocate with you for a second. Uh, it sounds like you are sacrificing usability for security because I'm uh, every time I come in, I have to prove myself. You're, you don't trust me? I, I'm your employee. <laughs> come on. Why don't you trust me? This is why we leverage the, the platform-based technologies that make it easy. Apple has done this at scale. I always like that. I mean, I'm a big Apple fanboy, so I always like to kind of pick on Apple. Um, but Apple's done this at scale with Touch ID and Face ID. Every time I, I log into my device, I've got to prove who I am with my face, but it happens very simply just by me looking at the device a couple seconds later, even less than a couple seconds later, I've got access to all my applications. So the balance is leveraging, you know, easy to use user focused technologies that strengthen the ability for us to apply that every single time. So you brought up Apple. Now you're going to make all the agencies feel bad because they're going to say, <laughs> well, we're not Apple, obviously. Are you starting to see some of this in the government already? I mean, we know, that the CAC card and the PIV cards have been used for years. And, and, and over the last, you know, really since the OPM hack have really been uh, Im improved upon for identity and access management, but are, you, are they going one step further beyond the CAC or the PIV? They are, they are. And, and a lot of agencies have been looking at this and looking at adapting these modernized technologies. And you don't have to be Apple to recognize there's some really great off the shelf technologies that you can leverage as a government agency uh, to be able to deliver your mission in a seamless way for your end users. Because, you know, that's one of the things that one of the, you know, if you look at kind of why people go work for private sector companies versus public sector organizations, a lot of it is that technology, the kind of best of breed technology they get to use. They might get to bring their own device in and use Face ID or leverage these stronger technologies, but make it super easy for them to use. So agencies have been looking to kind of adopt that model for years. I think that's starting to accelerate now, especially when it's tied into cloud infrastructure. So when you think about innovation, innovation is really a conversation between kind of the, the, the workload of the application being delivered on the cloud and that kind of end user um, commercial off the shelf technology like an Apple or a Google um, or, or Windows Hello from Microsoft that allows users to get the job done quickly and efficiently. And what about the uh, government person who says, well, we're much bigger than you using your iPhone or, you know, our network is much more com complicated. We have, you know, we can't, we don't have a lot in the cloud or we only have 20% of our applications in the cloud. This is also works on-prem. I mean, there's a data center piece to it. This is not just cloud, 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 though. That's where agencies seem to be going. Yeah, and that's, it's an evolution, right? There are a lot of agencies, even in the private sector, there are a lot of organizations that, that kind of standardize on diversity, right? When it comes to technology, they got a lot of legacy, they own a lot of data centers. So you look at kind of what steps can I make to modernize? And identity is a great place to start because identity, especially if you're looking at kind of the, you know, uh, an identity cloud infrastructure, which is exactly what we do. You know, you can start there and leverage the, that to protect your on-prem resources, but also kind of use that as kind of the eye towards the future, which is, hey, if I'm making a decision about an application, I'm doing my kind of cloud smart or cloud first decisioning, um, and then it ends up being in the cloud. More often, I'm going to make a cloud decision. I want that platform to be able to, to provide an umbrella technology across all the things, the legacy I'm supporting now, but also where I'm planning on going. And I think that's one thing that the government sometimes gets a bad rap for. They don't necessarily are be able to look past what's in front of them. 
we need to fix this problem today. Well, will that cause you more problems in the future? And I think that's, that's something that I'll point out with the PIV and the, and the CAC. They had this problem, identification. Okay, well, how's that going to work three, five, seven, ten 10 years from now? And here we are uh, about 16 years later after HSPD-12 and, and things are just starting to get figured out. Is, are there agencies that you're seeing that, that are ahead of the curve? There are. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of agencies that had kind of you know, bought into the philosophy of modernizing and whether that be kind of cloud or modernizing their identity platforms in the beginning of 2020, were a lot better off by the end of 2020 or the middle of 2020 as they went through kind of the, the, the extreme telework or extreme workforce situation they were dealing with. So those, those agencies that were more innovative were had a little easier time. Those who were not, a little bit of a harder time. But I still think there's opportunity to improve. And you're right. You, know, you think at HSPD 12 and 14, 15, 17 years we've been living with this. It was, it was the best technology to, to put in place at the time. Well, we're a long way from that now. So we need to look to be able to leverage that because we made large investments there, but that's not the future. That's the past. Sean, I want to tag back around to uh, the beginning of the discussion because we're, we're, the focus here is the Defense Department. And there's one, as I've been watching different events and, and talking to DOD folks, they're definitely on, on, a, on a fast track. Uh, Comply to Connect is one example. There's also the identity piece when they talk about biometrics. Uh, is the DOD, in your opinion, further ahead of most agencies or are they, you know, again, pockets here and pockets there, but they're still, they have the same struggles and, as everyone else? So I think in, in some ways they're ahead. They're ahead in the understanding of the philosophy. So you mentioned Comply to Connect. That was a more of a network centric way to get access to things. I look at it as more as Comply, comply to Access or Comply to Authentication now, um, as we're starting to think about delivering services and, and functionality from the cloud versus on-prem. But the philosophies and the concepts of least privilege and zero trust security are part of, of DOD DNA. If you talk to anybody who's worked in, in IT and security in, in DOD for years, that part of the, the, the kind of understanding of the security architecture is already there. So they're really ahead on understanding where they're struggling just like everybody else is they have a lot of legacy infrastructure. So they've got a lot of stuff where they got to go back and, and kind of do inventories, inventories of applications I care about, inventories of the data I care about. Um, inventories of users tend to be a little bit easier because you have kind of a repository that you, you keep around those users for authentication and access management. Um, but there's still some work, some plumbing work to be done with regards to implementing the philosophy that they already well understand. All right. I think one of those philosophy points that they're starting to understand is zero trust. And we're going to get to that in the next segment. Sean, let's take a quick break. You're listening to the discussion, Accelerating DoD Missions with Identity and Access Management, sponsored by Okta on Federal News Network. One in seven people you know live with migraine. You may not realize it because many people suffer in silence. This June, show you care by wearing a pair of sunglasses in support of your loved ones living with this debilitating disease. Post a photo wearing your shades to social media with how Hashtag Shades for Migraine and challenge others to take part too. Learn more at shadesformigraine.org. That's shadesformigraine.org. Furnished by the Association of Migraine Disorders. Welcome back. You're listening to the discussion Accelerating DoD Missions with Identity and Access Management, sponsored by Okta on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Sean Frazier, the Federal Chief Security Officer at Okta. Sean, before break, we we're talking a little bit about identity and access management. You mentioned a, a, a big buzzword that we hear across the federal community, zero trust. Let's start there. A lot of people think, and we've talked about this quite a bit, zero trust. It, I got to get to zero trust. I have to implement my zero trust. And in a sense, it's a framework. It's an idea. It's a concept. 
And there's a lot of different pieces, but let's define zero trust a little bit. And then let's talk about how this can be enabled across DOD and other agencies. Yeah, it's definitely a framework, Jason. And I always like to call it a lifestyle choice because it really is kind of embracing a, a different thought model when it comes to delivering security. Um, one of the things to understand about what Zero Trust is is to also understand what it isn't. And it isn't a product. It isn't something that someone can sell you. There's no company, one company in the world who's going to say, buy Zero Trust from me and you'll be Zero Trusty and everything. All, all problems will be solved. Um, we did a lot of research. Uh, the Federal CIO Council a few years ago um, brought ACT-IAC in. There were a lot of participants like myself and others who did a lot of research around Zero Trust to define for agencies what it was and how it could help. Um, now we're starting to see phase two of that. Um, NIST and NCCOE are working on um, some reference architectures around Zero Trust, which will kind of help agencies see it because it, you know, it's one thing to understand what it is. It's another thing to see it in the reference architecture and see it in practice so that you can kind of take lessons from it and adopt it, you know, some of those things as your own. The other thing I will say about Zero Trust is it is also uh, John Kindervag, who coined the frame Zero, uh, who coined the phrase Zero Trust, talks about it being a bespoke journey. And what that means is for every agency, it's going to be a little different. So if you think you're going to be able to take a Zero Trust Gantt chart and just kind of map it into your your infrastructure and say I'm done, that's not true. Which is one of the reasons why you've got to build it into your DNA. You build it into your conversations internally as a security organization, and, and you you mold it and, and adapt it to your architecture. Um, you know, we talk about identity and access management as being one of the core pillars of zero trust and a really great place to start the journey. But there are other aspects as well that some agencies will, will, will adopt and some agencies won't. So it's important for CISOs and agencies to be able to kind of start with that, start with that mindset, build the conversations into their agencies as they're talking about it. Because um, otherwise, you know, if you think about it, you're going to kind of go, go down the rat hole of analysis paralysis, where you're going to look at all the things I, that I can't do, which means I'm not going to do anything. So you got to start somewhere. I think a key piece to this that a lot of people overlook is that there's already existing pieces, some of that bespoke pieces, those spokes to the wheel already exist. I always like to point out the, the continuous diagnostics and mitigation program is one example. I think the identity and access management piece is another example. Is, is as you talk to agencies, are they kind of starting to put their pieces in place to say, okay, we want to get to zero trust on the map. Here's the paths to get there. They are. And I think you're exactly right. The, none of these things are happening in a vacuum. So CDMs kind of being brought in and folks are talking about how does that reference or, or work with a zero trust architecture. TIC 3.0 is another good one, right? So TIC 3.0 is kind of the adoption of a different model of cloud access. So um, much like HSPD 12, when TIC came out, it was talking about, I mean, in the agency accessing internet resources outside my agency, and it was really only dealing with that use case. So the outside outside conversation was never, really, really never taken into account. So if I'm a user who's teleworking and I'm accessing you know, a cloud service provider like Salesforce or ServiceNow or something like that, I don't have to go back to the, the, the agency network. So TIC 3.0 really kind of adapts itself to the way we really use and compute these days. So a lot of those things, even the identity and access management guidance that have come out. So you look at 863.3, you look at M1917 that came out of OMB. These are all tangential to zero trust and they're all required to be able to think about how I'm holistically deploying zero trust in my agency. So again, none of these things are happening in a vacuum. They're all related and they all exist you know, to, together for a reason. So I remember the ACT-IAC effort that you got put together, the white paper, that offered up some, some good insights. It's been a couple of years since then, I think maybe two, maybe three by now. Can you offer, are, are there some examples that you're seeing in agencies? And even if you can't get specific on an agency, 
are you seeing some examples of zero trust or, or pieces of zero trust that are coming together and, and actually doing what we what we envision them to do? I, I am. I'm definitely seeing it. And again, I think one of the things that's accelerating that is what we've dealt with in 2020. So before it was kind of like, you know, notionally agencies want to adopt zero trust. It makes sense philosophically, especially for DOD and other agencies and other, you know, um, sub agencies to be able to adopt it. But I think when the rubber hits the road and you see a use case where, oh, this is exactly the way zero, tr what zero trust was designed to, to, to work within this framework of, of kind of telework and access from anywhere to anywhere. So I'm seeing agencies really kind of adopt that. It's, it's interesting you know, before when we actually could go meet customers, you know, people would come in to, to a meeting and they would they would come down, come in and sit down and they'd have the the O'Reilly Zero Trust book and we talk about it. Then over time, they'd have the O'Reilly Zero Trust book and the ACT-IAC report and they kind of bring that in, drop it on the table. So I'm reading these two things. It's kind of getting me started. And it has been a couple of years, but as I mentioned earlier, there's some good work, some phase two work that's happening to be able to extend that. There's the reference architecture stuff that's happening. There is the kind of fine tuning the, the definitions around zero trust and what it means for agencies. And, and again, pointing out clearer how it relates to things like CDM and tick 3 and some of the other things that agencies have to kind of adhere to and pay attention to. So Sean, we know there's a new federal CISO that just is joining the, uh, the uh, Biden administration, uh, uh, Chris DeRussia. Um, if you would offer him a little bit of, of advice when it comes to identity access management, when it comes to zero trust, what, what's on his to-do list? What, what, what is something that OMB slash CISA slash NISC could do to kind of continue to push this forward? So I think we need to think about, and, and, you know, he's a, he's a great guy and I think he's done, he's done great work in, in previous life. And, and I love his philosophy about things anyway. So I think he would, he would take this heart to heart and he's probably already thinking about it. But none of this stuff needs to be thought of in a vacuum. So we think about cybersecurity and all the threats that we're dealing with, and they're consistent threats. And a lot of them are, are um, you know, consistent uh, threat vectors as well. When you think about identity, uh, you know, whether it's phishing or whether it's, it's kind of SAML hijacking or some of the things that we've seen over the last period of time, those are all things where we have to apply kind of zero trust principles to protect against. So my advice to him is, is keep putting the, the, the foot on the accelerator for zero trust, build that in as you're looking at kind of technical technology modernization capability for agencies, build cybersecurity right in there with it. Because it, it, the, the more we think about cybersecurity as being this other thing, so we think about digital transformation as being a thing and we go do do that and we just did it. And then cyber is this other thing way over here. They it can't be this other thing way over here. They gotta be tied together. They get they, they're there are two two halves of the same coin. If you're thinking about deliver services, you gotta think about cyber. And I know he thinks that way, so I'll probably you know preach to the choir, but that's what I would say. All right, very good advice. The other piece I think that's important to weave into this conversation is we're talking a lot about what has to get done. You know, be aware of as you move into zero trust, there's pieces, you can't look at it in a vacuum. But there are pockets of this innovation, specifically happening across DOD. Let's go through some of those because I think one of the keys here is this idea of DevSecOps that we're starting really to, to it's, we're seeing gain a bigger and better hold. Walk me through some of the things you're seeing around DOD where there's some innovations. Yeah, I, I'm a huge fan of, of Kessel Run and Platform One and Cloud One and some of these innovative DevSecOps environments for DOD because I, I'm a true believer in that security starts from the beginning. So when you're building applications, you got to think about, as I mentioned earlier, cyber being part and parcel to this, security being part and parcel. As you're building applications, cyber and security have to be first-class citizens in those conversations. They can't be afterthoughts. 
And these platforms are really designed to do that. So as they're, they're fielding requests for capability, right? So, so the A1 or somebody might come to them and go, hey, I need this application to do X and I need it quickly, right? I, I'm working on agile timeframes. That's awesome. And that's exactly what they're doing. But it would be, it would be a mistake to not build security in at that speed as well. And I know these guys are thinking about it, which is awesome because you know, nothing, you know, nothing is worse to me than having something that's this awesome application, very innovative, and it's got vulnerabilities, right? And then you got to go back and patch the vulnerabilities and you spend so much time kind of reassessing what you've already built when it would have saved you a ton of time just to build it on the front end. So these organizations, like I said, I'm a big fan because that's the way I think it needs to be done. I moderated a recent FCA Bethesda breakfast on speed and security. So very, the exact topic you just brought up. And one of the statistics that came up was something effective like 83% of all applications have vulnerabilities on the, you know, the first time someone has kind of gone through it. And a lot of those vulnerabilities deal with the leakage of information and cryptographic type of vulnerabilities. And so this goes back to speed, innovation, but also security. And, and I think that that can, bringing that together and, and then having a, a really rigorous identity management piece is really what we're talking about here is really the future. What is, what is the, what is the difficulty in doing that? Is it you, cause you can't sacrifice speed for, for innovation and you can't sacrifice rigorousness for usability. Yeah, and it's exactly right. And that's why you need to look at partners who think about this the same way you do. And, and you know, like us at Okta, we want to make sure that we're building capabilities for developers that are secure from the outset. So we're not thinking about security as being added later. We're thinking about it as, as you're developing your application and you need to integrate into an ID system. Uh, we need to make sure that security plumbing is there. So protecting data at rest, protecting data in motion providing uh, a, a protected communication path. So obviously secure SAML, secure open ID connect. Um, so, so you pick partners who have the same philosophy, which is protect everything all the time and you start at dev time. So you start with the developers because I get it. You know, I, I was a developer a long, long time ago um, and you know, developers are path of least resistance people, right? You have a deadline to develop an app you're going to do it as quickly as you can. And back in the, the old days, we would never even turn on SSL. Hey, turn on SSL, it means I got to do key pair stuff. I'm not doing any of that. It's just, it's hard. So you need to make it easier for developers to do the right thing. And I think part of that is where the DevSecOps comes in because by, by automating a lot of this security compliance issues, by automating a lot of the testing, by making it easy, as you said, make it a first-class citizen, then you are addressing those, those challenges. Uh, Sean, we're just about out of time before I let you go. What's the big takeaway from our conversation today? When, when, if, if you want to leave the audience with one really important message, what's that? So it's a couple of things. The, the first thing is, you know, we, we've kind of harped on it, but it's worth harping on it again, is, is security is a first-class citizen built into the DNA of your decisioning. So security has got to be part of that. The flip side of that, which we hit on a little bit, which I think is also extremely important, is user experience, user culture. We got to make sure that we're building things that users will use. One of the reasons why I'm a big fan of, of Kessel Run and the other technologies is because, frankly, they've got younger people coming in and kind of saying, hey, I've, I've never lived a life without an iPhone. I use Touch ID and Face ID. I'm used to these kinds of technologies. I want to figure out how to leverage that for the mission. Um, so listening to those folks and being able to build things that are usable, because the most secure system in the world, if it's not usable, no one's going to use it. And, and the technology we have today, it's so easy to go around it, right? I've got a I've got a mini computer in my pocket. Everybody does, right? It's got all the bells and whistles I need. If, if the thing you give me isn't working, I'll take the thing that I bought, which works really well, and I'll use that. So making sure we're paying attention to culture, paying attention to usability, um, and it's hard. We talked about that being a balance, and it absolutely is a balance, but it's a balance we're taking into account as part of your security DNA. 
And the way you do that is through rigorous identity management and access management. Don't forget about that. Exactly. And leveraging off-the-shelf technology. So leveraging biometric. We didn't really talk about uh, web off end, but that's another thing I encourage people when you're thinking about your identity infrastructure. And I think about as CACPIV being PKI 1.0, I look at web off end and the FIDO2 stuff being PKI 2.0. So if you're an agency looking at how do I modernize A, this is B. All right. I think that's something for next time. We'll have more to talk about then. Unfortunately, we're out of time for today. Let me thank my guest. Sean Frazier is the Federal Chief Security Officer at Okta. Sean, always a pleasure to catch up. Always. Thanks, Jason. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to the discussion Accelerating DoD Missions with Identity and Access Management, sponsored by Okta on Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search Okta. Thank you for listening to the discussion Accelerating DoD Missions with Identity and Access Management, sponsored by Okta on Federal News Network.